I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you will, please, to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, where we have been for a number of weeks now because of the incredible revelation that we have through this chapter. So many things that we learn that we could not know any other way than if the Lord himself had not revealed these things to us. Paul has been addressing the issue in this chapter of the resurrection. And he has told us how important the resurrection is in the opening verses because he has drawn our attention to this fact that if Christ had not risen from the dead, there would be no hope of salvation, no hope of forgiveness of sins, no free gift of eternal life. It just would not have happened. But because Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again from the dead, the reality of the good news of the gospel can penetrate our hearts because Christ guaranteed that those who are identified with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, not through the waters of baptism, but through the means of faith, accepting the grace of God about which we have been singing this morning and embracing through faith that reality of Christ dying as our substitute, dying in our place, so that he took the penalty that we deserve. He rose from the dead to prove that that sacrifice for our sins was fully accepted by the Father. And Paul writes about that and he tells us, here's the good news. Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he was seen by hundreds of people who in the day in which this book is being written could verify the, the veracity of what Paul is declaring through the resurrection of Christ. He goes on from that discussion of the importance of the resurrection to tell us about the assurance that we can have that we too will experience a resurrection. And he tells us through a variety of different ways, through the revelation of Scripture from the Old Testament all the way in through the New Testament itself. He gives some examples, and he, he reminds us of those who had been resurrected from the dead during the lives of the prophets and during the time that Christ was here on the earth, giving a, a foretaste of the resurrection that ultimately would occur for all those who know Christ as Savior, a resurrection that leads to life. And I had to add that last part because everybody's going to be resurrected. Some to life and some to eternal condemnation. But the resurrection is going to happen. It's going to occur. But now he takes us into a third realm of understanding so that we can grasp the nature of what the resurrection is going to be like. And it actually is kind of triggered by a couple questions that he has asked. And I'd like you to turn with me, if you will, please. And we're going to read, beginning at verse 35, down through the end of the chapter, so that we can lay hold of what the nature of the resurrection is going to be like. Verse 35. But someone will say, How are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, 
But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul is going to jump off on those first two questions that are raised. And something that's really interesting, uh, and I find this uh, a very attractive element of Paul's personality, he basically says what needs to be said. And he will say sometimes things that would not be necessarily all that um, politically correct for one, nor even sometimes socially uh, pleasant and mild. And he addresses the two questions that are raised to him in terms that are pretty straightforward. Go back with me, if you will, because these are the questions that he is going to answer through the remainder of the chapter. Verse 35. How, and, and someone is raising this question, apparently somebody from Corinth must have brought this up. How are the dead raised, and with what body do they come? Foolish one. In other words, he, he, he's saying, oh, come on. Do I have to tell you this for you to understand what's going on? And then he begins. 
And he begins to nail down the very nature of what the resurrection body is going to be like. And he begins by telling us that there is going to be a great transformation that is going to take place. And he brings to our mind the reality of three distinct issues that will help us understand what this is about. The first involves the seed. And notice what he says there in verse 37. What you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Well, what he's telling us now is this. Look, if you just take the natural world around you and you observe what is going on, if you understand anything about agriculture, you know that the seed that you plant is very different from that plant which grows out of it. So now he calls their attention to this picture. And, and you're probably picturing something like this, like the, the, the seed of wheat or possibly a, a seed of corn. And, and here's the reality. It has to die first. But once it does... God's power works upon that dead seed so that what comes out of it is related to that seed, but very, very different from the seed. If you look at a a stalk of grain, and you'll notice that the little seed has now grown grown into this shoot that comes up and then there's the head that comes off the end and other little seeds uh, will, will grow on that and they are the things that provide the, the food and the, the nourishment. But look at, look at the difference. You, can, you, you can't even compare the, the little seed to what, what's come up from this or the corn. If you've ever lived, boy, if you, we, we've got folks that live out in Iowa. You, you've seen corn. You've seen pigs. Pigs and corn. If you've ever driven through Iowa, you've seen this. And you take this little golden kernel, you drop it in the ground, and before you know it, this stalk is coming out, and then there are these big leaves, and they're flapping around, and then you'll see a little head uh, start coming up, and, and it's, it's the, the cob that's forming the little corn thingies on it. The what? Kernels. I never said this was going to be a scientific discussion. Anyway, the, the little kernels that come out and, and then the, the silk that, that comes out of the top of that and, and it's encased and protected and then the rest of the stalk grows and then you've got, and you probably know the words, the things at the top. The tassel at the top. You're learning a whole lot more than I ever thought we would learn today. What does that look like in comparison to the seed? And Paul says, do you understand? When your resurrection body comes forth, it's going to be related to the body that you're living in right now, but it is going to be very, very different. So he has now answered the first question and part of the second. How? It has to die first. And then he'll go on and he'll discuss that in some detail later on in the chapter about how this corruptible has to put on incorruption and how the natural has to put on a spiritual body. This body that is part of the dust 
has got to become now identified with the second Adam, the man who is a spiritual reality, the person of Christ. And the body that we're going to have is going to be very, very different, though it is still related to this body in which I live. Then he goes on and he uses a second picture. And he, he brings this to their mind. And he, and he says this, beginning here, well, it's actually just in verse 39. He says, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. So what he's saying is, even though there are very different types of realities, they are still real. The flesh that humans have. We, our flesh is very different. In fact, even within our own bodies, there's a variety of different types of flesh. If you have a, a surgery that requires uh, a skin graft, there are only certain places of the body that you can take the skin that will be appropriate for wherever it is grafted to. And so you, you have within the body, there's different flesh even here. But, but then compare human flesh to the flesh of a bird. And if you've ever eaten a bird, chickens, have any of you ever plucked a chicken? Yeah, some of you have done that. Most of you have not, right? You, you think chickens come from the store. And, and you don't realize, wait a minute, somebody had to take the head of that baby off and then pluck all the feathers off and get that chicken. And, and you're probably going to eat some of that later today. Many of you will. Um, very, very different flesh. The flesh of animals, very, very different. And then the, the flesh of fish, where you scale the fish or you, you fillet the fish. And you, you, you've got a completely different type of flesh. And he says, all that is different, but it's real. Now he's telling us a little more. The resurrection body is going to be related to the body that we're in right now, but it is going to be very different from the body we're in now, but it will still be real. Then he goes on into a third discussion, and he talks about the, the creation in the heavens. Notice beginning there at verse 40. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. Well, now he brings into our understanding these inanimate objects that become the repository of glory. And, and he uses the sun and the glory that it shows. And then he says, well, that's different from the moon, which really reflects the glory of the sun. And then there, there's also uh, different stars. And the stars are very different in glory. You know, when this was being written, people will ask you questions like this. Is the Bible scientific? I know that this is a very simplistic answer, but it is true. Yes, the Bible is absolutely scientific. Where those who try to denigrate the, the veracity of the Scriptures, where they enter the picture is they enter with a belief system of scientism, not science. But the Bible is scientifically accurate. Now, in the day in which this was being written, 
you did not have an understanding of all of the different glories, quote-unquote, of the stellar creation. And yet, the writer of Scripture tells us about the stars being so different in glory. And now we, we realize that our sun is a tiny, tiny little star in comparison to others into which you could probably place thousands of our suns. And you could place thousands of our earth inside the sun. And so there is this difference in glory. And he's introducing now another thought for us. And here is a theoretical concept. And I, I want to be careful because I can't say that this is absolutely the way this, what this is expressing. But I really think this is expressing a truth that is going to make clear to us that the body that we are resurrected in will be related to this body right here. It will be very real, but it's going to differ in glory from individual to individual depending upon their faithfulness to the Lord and their willingness to allow Him to use them through their lives. There are some people who live lives that are very, very similar to those who are unsaved. And will their glory be like the glory of the moon? And then there are those who have given themselves totally to the control of Christ. And I'm not speaking just about people who are involved in full-time Christian ministry. If you're a believer in Christ, you're in Christian ministry all the time. Whether you're working in a factory, whether you're working as a homemaker, whether you're, you're retired, wh whether you're in school. So what kind of glory will there be in the resurrection? It depends. It depends. It will be related. It will be real. And it will be glorious. And so Paul now has brought an answer to those two questions that he identified as being foolish, but he's really made it very clear. And I think for us, perhaps to even clarify further, we take it one more step to say this. That which is going to be our resurrection body is going to be like the body in which Christ rose from the dead. And if you look down at verse 43, you begin to see this, uh, this reality. It says, uh, this body that we're in is sown in dishonor. Um, uh, well, let me back up to verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. That's because of our identification with Adam. It is raised in incorruption because of our identification with Christ. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it's written, the first man, Adam, with whom we're identified by physical birth, became a life-giving uh, pardon me, uh, became a living being. The last Adam, who is Christ, a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. That's the corruptible. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. Now listen to this. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those 
who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Wow. Now, for us to understand the nature of our resurrection bodies, it would be pretty important for us to take a step back in time and take a look at what happened with the body in which Christ came out of the tomb. And there are some things that are are very clear. The body in which he was raised was a real body. It was a body that people could touch. You remember when Christ appeared to the disciples and Thomas wasn't there and then later Christ appeared to Thomas and he had doubted whether Christ had really risen from the dead and now Christ says to him, go ahead, reach out and touch my hands. Go ahead and feel where they drove the nails. By the way, isn't that interesting that the scars from the crucifixion were still there? Very, very interesting. I I heard someone say this, is there anything man-made in heaven? Yes. The scars in Christ. Go ahead, touch them. Put, put, your, put your hand there where the, the spike was driven. Um, hey, you know this. They thrust a spear into my side after I died. <laughs> this is kind of funny. This is not the way Jesus did it. But have you ever gone to visit people in the hospital and they want you to see their scars? Let me tell you something right now, okay? If you have had a major surgery and it's really gross the way it looks, I don't need to see it when I come to visit you. I've had people, (laughs) guys have had open heart surgery. Pastor, look at this! And, you know, or some other really nasty looking thing. I've had people who've had stomach issues and there's a hole and it's still there and it's like look here look at this no 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 i don't i don't need to see that i am sure it is really really you are unique there is something really unique about that they should put you in the uh, new england journal of medicine you you should have an article written about you but i'm here to pray with you and to read the scriptures and i don't need to see any more are we are we all very clear on this (laughs) I got to tell you, it's really gross sometimes, the stuff I have to look at. I am not a medical doctor, all right? So anyway, having said that, <laughs> Jesus says to Thomas, put your hand here. Now, we're not told that Thomas did, but Jesus made this clear. He said, what you understand is that a spirit, see, they were thinking possibly this was just the spiritual presence of the Lord, and it wasn't. It was a real physical body that came out of the grave related to the body he had while he walked the earth. It was a body that was real, and it was a glorious body. In fact, at this point in time, his glory has to be veiled so they can look upon him. And so he says, uh, a spirit does not have flesh and bones. Go ahead and touch me. This is real. That body could be recognized. People will sometimes ask, are we going to recognize one another in heaven? Absolutely. You recognize each other now, don't you? You think it's going to be worse in heaven? It's going to be better in heaven. 
We're going to see each other and we're going to recognize one another and we're going to be in a real body that can be touched. But there are some real special things about this body. It's no longer given to any corruption. It's never again going to have anything to do with death. It is a body that is going to have unusual capabilities. It will be real, but it will be able to walk through created objects. As Christ did when he appeared to the disciples, the doors being shut, he came into the room. So he wasn't limited by the things that are a limitation for us right now. Sometimes I have to wonder about that anyway. I was taught in my science classes that we are mostly space. Is that true? That the atomic structure of who we are is primarily space. So if you call somebody a spacehead, you're just making an observation. It is not necessarily an insult, but it's an observation. Just thought I'd throw that out to you in case that's ever exchanged. We're space. Why can't we go through things? Well, at this point, our body is not capable of that, but the resurrected body will be. Apparently, the resurrected body will not be subject to the laws of gravity. Christ was taken up from the disciples, and as he ascended into heaven, an angel said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up for you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And so what Paul is telling us is this. You want to know what your resurrected body is going to be like? Understand what Christ's was like. The way he was, the way we're identified with the human element, the corruption that is in Adam by virtue of the fall. We, we have bodies that are subject to disease and to sickness and to death, to pain, to, to all of these negative aspects that is all going to be changed in the new body that will be related to this one. It will be real. It will be glorious. It will be like the Savior's. So there. When the resurrection takes place, the nature of our bodies is going to be very different. Are you looking forward to that? I mean, listen, part of the reason that the Lord is telling us this is so that we live daily with the expectation of what is to come. Because the things that we experience in this life are not always very pleasant. You know, we, we would like this to be heaven, wouldn't we? We, would like, we? we wouldn't like any loved ones to die. We, we, we don't want to experience pain. We don't want illness. We don't want disappointments. We really wish we could be free from that influence of, of temptation that leads us into sin. But the reality is, we're not home yet. We're not in heaven. Heaven is coming. And the new body in which we dwell for eternity, is coming. But we're not there yet. So what does that do? It makes me say, man, I can't wait till that day comes. I'm really looking forward to it. But until then, the Lord has a purpose for me here. And when that day comes, another dimension of the resurrection will be taking place. Not only will there be transformation, but there is also going to be a whole new experience of environment. It will be a resurrection 
of translation. And I want to explain what I mean by translation. If you look beginning at verse 51, actually let's begin at verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Something we have to understand in that verse. When the Lord makes reference to sleep, in conjunction with those who are believers, He is making reference to physical death. The body has been laid to rest because it has been separated from the soul and spirit. You remember when Lazarus died. Jesus used the same terminology with the disciples. He said, our, our friend Lazarus is asleep. And, and do you remember their response? They said, oh good, if he's asleep, that must be that he's healing, he's getting better. And then Jesus said, no, no, that's not what I mean when I say one of mine are asleep. He's dead. And that changed the whole environment. Got real different. But Jesus knew what he was going to do. And he's going to give Lazarus a resurrection. Not in the new body yet. But just a little bit of a taste that there is going to be a resurrection because Lazarus died again. And he perished a second time physically. So Lazarus kind of gave us a glimpse. But let me tell you now what's going to happen to all who are asleep in Christ. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There it is. The nature of the resurrection occurs. And how quickly? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. It's going to happen very, very quickly. This, this translation, this move into the new realm is going to happen quicker than that. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. Why would he tell us that? Well, I think for some of us that will give a great deal of encouragement. It's not going to be a long process. It's going to be an instantaneous act that happens, bang, just like that. But I think that is also a warning to those who don't know Christ as Savior. Because there are going to be a lot of people who are going to know what's going on. They're going to understand that something has happened. There is not going to be time to change your mind. And I'm just going to throw this out for your consideration. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he wrote a passage that leaves a real question mark as to the capability of people who have been given the opportunity to trust Christ before He comes, and they don't do it. The Bible indicates that those people will believe the lie. Which tells me this. If you have the opportunity to put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior now, and you don't do it. And maybe before this service is over, the Lord says, now's the time. The trumpet sounds. The dead in Christ rise. We are changed. We meet the Lord in the air. You won't have a chance afterwards. 
it's kind of a uh, see now now here's the deal and 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 i think this way too oh he's just trying to scare us into trusting christ no i'm not i can't scare you into doing anything but i can tell you the truth here's the truth today's a day of salvation you don't have tomorrow today and if you choose not to accept Christ, you understand this. You are accepting the consequence of that decision. And here's the consequence. You're going to be resurrected. But it will be for the purpose of spending eternity in hell, the lake of fire, separated from the love of God forever and ever. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So, those that are asleep will come out of the grave. Those of us who are alive, and by the way, we may not all die. I'm still hanging on to that hope. I heard that when I was a kid. Christ may come today. Then I heard it when I was a teenager. Christ may come today. And then in college, Christ may come today. And then as I got a little bit older and got married, Christ may come today. I was really hoping he didn't come before I got married. Um, what can I say? Kids, are you kind of, nah, you guys don't care about marriage, do you? Nah, nah. But as I got a little older, I realized, you know what? I'd really like to get married first, but I, uh, I had already come to this conclusion in my mind that I would be standing at the altar with my bride-to-be and the pastor would say, you may now kiss the bride. Poof! <laughs> be gone. It's like, oh! I really wanted it to happen before some of my finals in school, but that didn't occur either. But I will tell you this. Because we have heard it over and over and over again, sometimes we become desensitized to the reality Christ may come today. Remember, he, he warned us. He said, it's going to be like in the days of Noah. Uh, people will be marrying, they'll be giving in marriage, which means life is going to be going on as normal, and they're going to raise the question, ah, you've been talking about this for centuries. Where is his coming? And he says, you just be patient. It's going to happen at the right time. And so whenever it happens, here's what I know. If I die first, I'm coming out of the ground. If I am not dead, I will be changed like that. I will be with those who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I have a feeling our eyes are going to be fixed on one person only, the person of Jesus Christ. And it'll be a great day. That body that we have will now be different and it will change because of what christ did for us i want you to look down at the the last verses here where it says so then uh this corruptible verse 54 is put on incorruption this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory death where is your sting O hades where is your victory the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law do you get that? Here's what we're talking about. God established 
laws that are consistent with his holy nature, some of which are identified in the Ten Commandments. Everybody runs to that as the example. And it's a good example, but it's not the totality. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Murder is the word. Thou shalt honor your mother and your father. And you look at those and you say, wait a minute. Um, In all reality, if I'm honest with myself, I have a problem there. I have not kept all those. Do you understand? God knew that. That didn't take him by surprise. We can't keep the law. We don't have the capability. That's why Christ fulfilled the law. And when he fulfilled the law and we trust him as our Savior, we're identified with him so that now in him we've kept the law. The Father looks at us and he says, You know what? Absolute perfection. The law has been completely kept because you're in my son. And he never sinned. He never did anything wrong. Where, oh, death is your sting? Where, Hades, is your victory? I'm a victor in Jesus Christ. And because of that, The third element and the final element is introduced to us. Now we can anticipate reward. Look at that last verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. If we know that reward is coming, then we need to be stable in our walk. Do you know what? If you don't have this hope in Christ, can I tell you what you're going to suffer from throughout your life? Roller coaster. Oh, here is... I'm afraid to use this, but I'm going to. Here's a president. We finally got a good guy in office. Then the next election... Here's president. Here are my investments. 2007 hits. Here are my investments. And all of life. I'm really healthy and strong. Oh no, I've been diagnosed with cancer. And life is nothing but ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. And the Lord says, wait a minute. Be steadfast. Be immovable. We don't have to go up and down with circumstances. You know what? If I was living in Venezuela, the next election, yeah, it's going to affect the way I live, no question, even if they have an election. But with the the death of Chavez, uh, things could change, or maybe things will stay the same, or maybe things will get worse. But if I'm a follower of Christ, that's not my hope anyway. My hope is in the Lord. And regardless of who's president, my hope is in the Lord. 
even the presidents that some of us would call good didn't do so hot. And the presidents we would say are not good didn't do so hot either. But Christ remains the same. Some who have been diagnosed with cancer know that unless the Lord comes in sometime down the road, not too far perhaps, they will be facing death, but that's okay. Because death is what sets us free to be with Christ. And by the way, you may not have been diagnosed with cancer and you may die before that person anyway. So we don't know. So what have we got? We've got Christ. Be steadfast, unmovable. He, he goes on uh, and he talks about always abounding in the work of the Lord, dedicated to the work that he's called us to perform individually and as a group. Some of you guys need to get going on this. I'm serious. There's no way in the world that we should have shortfalls in people who minister and serve, yet we can't get people to serve in the, in the nursery. What's up with that? How much do you, training do you need to help out in the nursery when we need help? We're so short on people, we're, we're getting to the point now where we may have to cancel another ministry so that we have people who can work in the nursery. What's up with that? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. And by the way, no matter what you're doing, do you understand that it's for the Lord first? You don't have a job as an end in itself. You have a job so you can serve Christ. And we have been deceived into thinking that the work that we have is, is what, oh, I'm so tired I can't do anything else. Then you're doing something wrong. You come home from work that tired that you can't serve. Because the purpose of your job is to provide food and lodging and clothing for yourself so you can serve Christ. We've got to get our heads straight. We have, been, we have been deceived by the world's way of thinking. The American dream. Well, the American dream is in some cases a nightmare. It drives people and drives people and drives people. And then some people get all they think they want and all that they could ever hope for. And then they decide, you know what, this isn't so great. And then they kill themselves. And we read about them every couple months, every couple months, another one, another one, another one. And, and they realize, wait a minute, there's, there's nothing here. Why? Because that's not our goal. Our goal is to serve Christ. I hadn't even planned on saying that. Oh, the next one, though, does hit us too. For as much as you know that your labor, the word labor is a very interesting word. It means to work to the point of exhaustion. Your, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Oh, I work myself to the bone at my job. So you're making that the end. That, that's, that's what you live for, your job. No. My labor is not in vain in the Lord. You should do your job well. Don't, don't anybody misunderstand me. You should be honest. You should be productive. You should be the best you can possibly be. But keep it in perspective. That is to provide so you can serve Christ. And then he goes on to say this. For your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God sees it. 
and he will reward it. So you be encouraged. Okay. Where have we come from? Chapter 15. The importance of the resurrection. Without it, we have no hope of eternal life. The assurance of the resurrection. It is going to happen. We've already been taught that throughout the ages. We've seen it through examples. We've been promised it by the Word of God. And the nature of the resurrection. I'm coming out. Going to be a real body. Going to be related to this one. But it's going to be glorious. It's going to be fit to spend eternity with God because that's what it's made for. Do you understand that? The new body is going to be made to last forever and to enjoy and worship our God forever. By the way, the resurrection body of the lost is going to be made for its environment forever as well. It will not go out of existence. It will experience the condemnation and the separation forever. You choose. Which will it be? Christ or condemnation? Let's stand. Father, what a privilege is ours to turn to your word and to recognize that what you have revealed is so far above our natural way of thinking. It is so different from what we would develop within our own thought processes. You've provided for our salvation so that freely we can receive Jesus. You freely give us your grace. And yet, Father, we know also that there are those who will not trust. And so I pray that you would have your Holy Spirit enlighten the eyes of their understanding and convict them of their sin of unbelief, of their need for righteousness, and of the reality that judgment is coming. And Father, for those of us who know Christ, cause us to live today with sweet anticipation, recognizing that our Savior may come for us today, we may die today, but we know this, He is coming, or we will die, and then we will be with Him forever. Thank you, Lord. Amen.